let's go into the desert, get fucked up while making a music video, they said. Let's continue doing all of this while strange shit is happening around us. It should be fun. Here is my review of the Outwaters experience. Attention. Attention. Do not be disturbed. You are now leaving reality and entering midnight social distortion. And welcome to another episode of Midnight Social Distortion. This is your boy, Mark. You know me by now. Hopefully you know me by now. But this week is all going to be about The Outwaters, which is directed by Robbie Banfitch. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And it is streaming exclusively on Screenbox. And there's also a prequel shorts movie and a epilogue of sorts. The prequel is called Card Zero, also directed by Robbie Banfitch. And the pseudo sequel, or what you want to call it, epilogue, is called Foul LV or VL um, dash four, 624. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm reading it right now, but it just, when I see that file lv it just reminds me of um lv's um 426 <laughs> those alien fans out there but uh yeah that's what the episode is going to be about um i'm going to jump over hard news today uh, i'm going to also jump over things that i'm watching because i wanted to devote this entire episode to the entire outwaters experience which i've been calling it um i have been hearing a lot of great things about the movie but then i've been hearing a lot of not so great things about the movie on a recent appearance on the evil live with tyrone williams tyrone and another guest on the show ali russell they both told me that between Outwaters, they said, if I liked Outwaters, I might not like Skinamarink. And if I like Skinamarink, then I might not like Outwaters. Or rather, they said it's been like back and forth in the hard community between the two films. And I found it kind of interesting that they would pair, not they as in Ali and um, Tyrone, but as in like the horror community would compare both films together given that i feel like because i did watch skinner rink after watching the outwaters car zero and foul vl-624 i um did go watch skinner rink and i felt like they were two different experiences however i could suss out why people were comparing the two of them um, but I'm still trying to debate whether or not that comparison is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, because to be completely honest, there's a lot that doesn't happen in each movie. But the fact that these movies generated a lot of um, visceral reaction, like positive, like hype and reviews from hard critics across the board and it just kind of like i don't know i feel like both films and i'm going to do a separate episode for skinnamarink um soon i feel like both films are what happens when you fall into the hype train um and i probably do a whole episode about that i probably already did i just can't remember if i touched on it in an earlier episode but the hype train can really fuck up some shit um, when it comes down to um, how when people when people's expectations are when they go into a film and they're expecting to be scared, they're expecting to be like wow, they they are thirsty for another cult status film that they can put on their top 10 list or list of movies that you have to watch and all that. And then they're left a little bit underwhelmed and I feel like this seed of being underwhelmed tends to grow as each person, as that person probably goes and see people like 
all over themselves when they describe how great the movie was for them. And because I've heard a lot of people say that they kind of get annoyed about movies that they didn't really care for, getting a lot of accolades and a lot of um, praise from people that they truly respect. And I say to them, um, I just, you know, I wouldn't let that deter my experience of the of, like, because I don't know if it's like a, a level of I respect this person or rather I really didn't feel like the movie deserves all of that. And then when you see a lot of other people like it, I don't know if it goes into the mind frame of is there something wrong with me because I didn't like this movie or I just have to re um, analyze how I look at other people's taste in film. You know, it could be a mixture of everything. It could be a mixture of none of it. I mean, a mixture of none of that. It could be none of that. It could be just, you know, a, um, but this is all reason why I say all of this is because back in the day when I was like living by the word of Siskel and Ebert and Michael Roper and I was, is Michael Roper or Richard Roper? Um, I forget the name of the other movie, the um, movie review um, show that came on after Siskel and Ebert. I think it was at the movies, you know, just if you actually saw those two um, critics, I think it was Michael Medved and uh, Richard Roper or something like that. Anyway, I used to like, oh, when they said this movie was bad, I'm not going to watch it. You know, I used to be one of those people. But then they really went into like, I think they drug a lot of horror movies that I end up liking. And they also went into saying how crass and unfunny um, Austin Powers was. And I remember my brother bringing over Austin Powers and watching the movie with him and me and my sister and him just, it was nonstop laughter. I mean, we quoted their movie for several months. And then when they came out with Austin Powers, the spy to shag me, the spy who shagged me, it was just like, we were Austin Power fans. And so I realized at that point when I saw Austin Powers where my for myself that I have to make decisions on movies based on what I think about them and how I feel about them and not go about what somebody else does. Now, when we review films in the horror community and whatnot, we just, I hope people are going into like reviewing the film to just say, well, this is how I felt about the movie. And you can go um, have a, you can think about the movie your own type of your, your own way, but this is how I felt about it. And we can just have a, uh, you know, I guess it's a, a discourse, uh, you know, just a conversation on what we might have liked about the movie, what we might not have liked about the movie and then move on. But I, I, I'm hoping we've gotten past that where we just, that era where we just constantly have to like rely on somebody else's viewing experiences to sit there and, um, you know, dictate how we see things. Now, granted, I'm not going to sit there and act like I haven't, you know, um, like fell back on that, you know, a little bit, or I'm probably talking at the side of my ear because I mean, for instance, there's a lot of M. Deville, I call them the unofficial M. Deville sequels because they're not M. They're not really M. Deville um, movies. They're just you know cash grabs for people to capitalize and make a quick buck for a, a horror movie that you know they want to do. But that's besides that. Um, some people enjoy that. I don't. Like, if I see a title, for instance, the one I just recently heard, Amityville Death Toilet, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm just not, I'm not in the mood to watch that. And there might be somebody out there like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, okay, good for you, but I'm not gonna watch it. And you can sit there and tell me how good it is all day long, but it's just something that I already do not feel like I want to burn um, brain cells on, you know? And, there might be people out there who, um, for instance, this weekend as I'm recording this, Evil Dead Rise came out, and that's going to be an episode coming up soon, too. And I've heard a lot of people be, you know, back and forth with it. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of people who give their reasoning behind not liking some of the stuff in Evil Dead Rise, I can understand it. It's not everybody's forte, and I've kind of, like, ignored some reviews, some negative reviews of it, because... Some of them come off kind of pretentious and whatnot, especially given some of the stuff that those people end up liking this year. So it's just kind of like, uh. however, again, I don't let that dick. That's that's how they feel about the movie. That's their right. You know, 
they have a valid opinion because they went to go see with their own two eyes and they just went buying what they were selling. I understand that. Um, I don't have to like it, but I'm not going to sit there and jump into your comments and tell you how fucking wrong you are and be very toxic about it. You know, that's just, that, ugh. you know, just keep scrolling, just keep scrolling, you know, and just stop being an asshole because somebody didn't like something that you didn't like. Um, I'm going to end the rant there, but I might come back to it. I'm just going to let y'all know that as I record this. Um, but as far as the Outwaters experience, I did hear nothing but praise from a lot of people. You know, people who are in the hard critic circle and those who are just regular horror fans. And I, I mean, I've heard mostly great stuff, but see the stuff when you hear from like the film festivals and uh, special screenings and whatnot that's inviting like you know top hard critics in the community um they come out of it with you know i guess they have a joint audience experience or whatnot and then there's the helpful sound of dolby and a controlled environment where there's no distractions so you continue so you can go into the movie and then you at the behest of that movie's um thrall if you know for lack of um without think that's a better term anyway but then when you get home and you get to a home viewing or you, you watch it while you're at home or rather compare it to going watching it on a streaming service where you might can easily be distracted or you can like pause the movie and go to a bathroom break get a snack or something to come back and your mind is kind of like taken out of that moment that you're in while you're watching the film and that could probably explain why you get a lot of reviews and a lot of like a lot of positive reviews from like the screenings and whatnot versus you coming like you watching it at home as a viewer with all these numerous distractions or you know things that take away from the experience like watching something on like for instance just a quick um re not review but quick experience uh, a quick oh, excuse me what i'm trying to say is i went to go see evil dead rise thursday night and mm. the theater was dolbied out and so every time a deadite would say something you felt this shit <laughs> You felt that, you know, guttural fear of like the dead eye just speaking their words. Even when the um Book of the Dead or the Necromonicon was being read or through the, I'm not trying to speak or ruin anything for those who haven't seen the movie, but when the words were uttered, rather, you felt every word as it was being uttered compared to me probably watching it at home and that probably being like, you know, died down a lot. So I think that might be some of the reasons why I wasn't feeling the Outwaters initially, but hey, it is what it is. But let's just go ahead and get into the movie. Um, like I said, it was directed by Robbie Banfitch. It was also written by Robbie Banfitch, cinematography and edited by Robbie Banfitch. And um, also it starred him, Angela Basolis, Michelle May, Scott Scammell, I think, Christine Brown, Leslie Ann Banfitch, and Errol Caitlin. And um, the movie premiered at the New Jersey Film Festival last year in February 12th. And it was released to select theaters earlier this year in February 9th um, um, by Cynodyne, which is, I guess, I don't know who got the, I think they got the um, rights to the film to distribute. Um, and I'm going to read, uh, the, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm, I'm reading the plot line given up, given to us by Wikipedia. So this is Wikipedia telling us what happened. Um, and I, if I do read, when I usually do read plot lines from Wikipedia, I can easily sit there and suss and tell what somebody probably misinterpreted something or that's not exactly what happened. But anyway, here it goes. 
The film opens with a panic 911 call along with visuals indicating that the four main cast members, Robbie, Angela Scott, and Michelle, are missing. A title card explains that the subsequent footage was recovered from three memory cards found in the Mojave Desert. And then it goes to say, Robbie is an aspiring filmmaker living in Los Angeles who has recruited his brother, Scott, and his friend, Angela, to help him film a music video for his friend, Michelle, in the Mojave Desert. While getting ready for the ex expedition, he celebrates his brother's birthday, surprises his mother back home, parties with Angela, and talks to Michelle about her recently deceased mother. Footage filmed from Robbie's apartment of two separate earthquakes is shown. The four friends pack their equipment and begin their journey. Spending the first night at a small lake, they continue deeper into the desert the next day and encounter a pack of donkeys blocking the road. They arrive at their final destination, a small hillside near a dried up lake bed and begin setting up camp. At night, the four are awakened by booming sounds and frantic animal noises that appear to be getting closer. Scott and Robbie leave their tent to investigate but find no clues. Robbie continues by himself and sees a strobing light along a hillside path. The next day, the crew discuss the uncanny events of the previous evening and begin filming the video. During a break, Robbie and Michelle investigate the area where he saw the light and rec record high-pitched noises coming from a nearby hole, sensing something unusual beneath the earth. Robbie embarks, excuse me, Robbie remarks that his camera battery has not gone down the entire time they've been there. Later, Robbie sees an axe at the top of a nearby hill. The crew head to the lake bed to finish filming the video, and the sound is overtaken by noises similar to the ones heard earlier in the hole. At night, the crew once again hear the booms and animal sounds. Robbie wanders off and sees a naked man on a hill wielding the axe. As he runs away, the man attacks Robbie off screen, giving him a head injury. Robbie returns to camp, bloody and disoriented, and finds Scott asleep, but the women frantic. The camera cuts to Robbie running through the desert as the two girls scream and plead for their lives. He encounters Scott and Angela, both soaked in blood. Robbie escapes and takes shelter in a small ravine until morning. He exits naked and disoriented and starts wandering through the desert aimlessly. I could have sworn that he actually took his clothes off, but never mind. He finds that the area is now infested with screaming, fleshy, worm-like creatures. That night, he returns to the campsite to find the two tents covered in viscera and sees what appears to be Michelle's body. After a number of close calls with his assailant, Robbie is transported to a pool of red light, red water by the light. He is taken back to the desert, vomits blood, and removes an unknown substance from his foot. He encounters the pack of donkeys, then sees a mirage of himself and his three friends in the past walking through the desert. He sees a blood-soaked Michelle running across the lake bed and chases her. He encounters a bloody Scott and Angela acting normally at the campsite. Exiting the tent, he finds himself at his mother's house and then on the wing of a plane when he sees Scott where he sees Scott through the window. Back in the desert, in total darkness, Robbie runs into a large monster, which closely inspects him and appears to be calling to similar creatures in the distance. He runs away and sees Angela back at camp, and the two are attacked by the worms. Robbie is again carried away by the red water, and the camera is shown rapidly flying through a series of white lights before returning to the desert. Robbie finds a gas mask and an old sign indicating that he is in a government-restricted area and encounters his assailant, who appears to be his doppelganger. The next day, Robbie finds his, his decomposing heads. I'm sorry. Robbie finds the decomposing heads of his three companions impaled on pikes. He then finds the tooth of a large animal on the ground. He uses it to sever his penis and then dis disembowels himself. The film ends with a shot of a fatally wounded Robbie reaching toward the sky. Okay, um, let me go ahead and just explain like what I felt about the entire film as a whole. Um, where, as far as the, uh, um, the experience of like my initial reaction to the movie as I was watching it, it was it felt a little bit long in the tooth. The movie clocks in, I think, at an hour and fifty minutes. 
And that's a lot of time for a found footage film that is like there is a bunch of stuff going on that you can't piece together and you're just along for the ride. For me, um, basically, I don't think anything, I don't think they even got to the desert until like 30 minutes into the movie because the first 30 minutes of the film was a lot of character building. And, you know, character building as far as how Robbie interacts with his brother, who seems to just be there. There is like his brother is very nonchalant and you can easily tell that there's something going on between his brother and Robbie's with with Robbie's brother, Scott, and their mother, because Robbie's trying to get him to come visit their mom for her birthday and also um robbie's trying to give a gift to his mom give a gift to his to scott from his mom that scott is like oh you know okay you know it's, it's so it seems like there's some type of like tension between scott and his mom then you get the interaction between robbie and michelle which seems like they are very close and michelle is very um into her career as a singer and she's the <clears throat> excuse me she's the one you know like the plot said she's the one who is the music video that getting ready to shoot so you spend a lot of time with her and you realize that she recently lost her mom and that her mom was also a singer and you know that how she's dealing with that and how you know it's just that's her story then you get Angela, who I believe is, if I can remember correctly, is recently married and she is going to help out with the makeup and set design for Michelle. And I don't think these two know each other prior. So the reason why I'm bringing up all of this 30 minute character development is that for two reasons. Um, one, when you get to the desert and when shit starts to happen, or rather when the shit starts to happen, all the character development goes out the window. And to me, that wasn't a good thing because you build up these characters so much to care about them, though when shit actually happens, it's like one, two, three, Scott, Michelle, and Angela are all taken out in like one like quick scene. And when we see them again, they're like either visions or they're like they're Robbie's visions or something going on through Robbie's eyes. So you don't get to learn more about them after you know, they meet their demise. And two, this is what I call, I, I don't know how to um. I don't know if there's a word for this, but when I read novels that have multiple, let me go back to the one novel that I can, um, it's two novels rather. One is Twilight by Stephanie uh, Mayer. And the other one is, um, I think marked by Casey, uh, is a PC cast and Kristen cast. I forget the author's name, the mother daughter team. But when you read those first books in those series, and then you like, they're first person narratives, but everybody around the main character is far more interesting than the main character. And you're like, oh, I wonder what's going on through their minds. And I didn't make it to Twilight, what 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 the third book was called. Um, I can't remember. I know the second was New Moon because I read that one. But I didn't make it to the third Twilight book because my mind's going blank right now. I know it's um, Twilight, New Moon, and Breaking Dawn. I can't think. Eclipse. I'm thinking, okay, Eclipse. I didn't make it to Eclipse where we actually get into the minds of Jacob and Edward. Uh, so I just didn't make it that far because Bella was just that draining, reading her. Um, and the same thing with the um, the um, March series. I don't know, the House of Night series. I noticed that in the later books that we get to see multiple uh, character, um, multiple characters um, point of views throughout the chapters. And I was like, it sucks that the writers got waited until like the fourth or fifth book or whichever book that is in each series to decide to give a multitude of view on um, point of views because their main character i'm i'm not saying they suck it's just that i wasn't like vibing with them like that you know i was like 
shit, Jacob's whole um, tribe of um, people seem like they're more interesting than what the fuck Bella's going through. And I really didn't care too much for the Cullens, but it was just, you know, like, it'd be interesting to see what Alice is going through or whatever the other characters were. Um, as for the House of Night series, the same thing. You know, like, the twins that finish each other's um, sentences, even though they're not twins. They just on the same wavelength mentally you know stuff like that so when you have robbie in the outwaters not saying that he's not an interesting character but it's just like you're surrounded by so like three other well except for scott i don't i really had to get in scott's mind um but michelle and angela i was vibing with them a lot and i felt like um because i think it was because if i can recall correctly i feel like scott was the first person to get like killed and then you heard Angela and Michelle screaming for like, like, you know, bloody murder, but you're trying to figure out what happened. And then there's a scene where Robbie does run into Angela and in a cave and he walks off and she's screaming, don't leave me by myself. But then the, the film jump cuts to Robbie waking up the next morning. And I'm like, okay, is Angela with him? And then she's not. And so you go through this whole this this big long sequences of Robbie just walking through the desert, coming across weird shit, reacting, and then smash cut to something else going on with him walking through. So it's just like a lot of I will I wanted to know more about what was going on with the other cast members if if they were still alive. You know, like if it was me, I would have had Robbie stay with Michelle and Angela a little bit longer and then have them build off of, you know, like, you know, I guess pay off those that 30 minutes worth of character development, you know, to sit there and see them like constantly like, you know, losing, losing each other and, you know, just being scared and whatnot. I, I know it was one scene where Michelle literally called out for her mom and I was like, oh, God, that is because, you know, she just lost her mom and that's was her rock. And then for her to be calling her mom out that, you know, I would have loved to have been, I would love to have been there when that happened instead of hearing it off screen. Um, so that was a big detriment to me for the movie because I can't say anything else outside of it just being Robbie walking through the wood, uh, through the woods, walking through the um, desert and constantly coming across something weird. And then when it got to the nighttime shots, the only thing you saw was through the little pin light on Robbie's camera. And, you know, I'm always the type of person who is like, you know, sometimes when you can't see or you don't know what's going on, that's where the fear comes in at. But this time around, it was more of an annoyance because you see pieces of what is going on, like the little squirming worms. And you only saw them in like fleeting distances. You didn't see them like actually attack um, them until the end of the movie but it seemed like they were attached to something at the end of the movie rather than them being like little squirmy little snake worms uh, throughout the rest of the movie and they look like smaller versions of the tentacles that come out of a grab boy's mouth in the tremors movies except they didn't have like the um um horned heads and they seem like fleshless snakes if you ask me but i don't know i just felt like I wanted to see these things uh, react. But again, you couldn't do that because I'm pretty sure that the Al Waters and Robbie Banfish was doing, you know, the, I, it was on the blue, um, a shoestring budget. So they can only give us what they could with the money that they have. But just the fact that there was so much of that for like the last, let me see the, if the movie is an hour and 30 minutes. So an hour an hour 50 minutes so an hour and 40 not 40 but um an hour and 10 minutes of just chaos and i'm pretty sure the noises and the creeping was probably better heard through a theatrical um, um sitting uh setting rather with Dolby and everything installed. But for me, it was just, you know, I did have on a sound system when I was watching this, but it didn't help at all. But yeah, so that's pretty much the gist of the movie. Um, I mean, the most confusing parts was why was he cutting? Why did he disembowel himself? Why did he cut off his dick? Um, 
why did he, you know, it just, I didn't get why any of that happened. And it just seemed like, like I said, it was chaos. I, that's the only word I can give you. It was just a complete and utter chaos going on. And you don't know why. Now, keep in mind, this is just when you watch the Outwaters. Um, before I go any further with that, I do want to touch on some interesting aspects of the film. Like the moment where he comes across the uh, the fact that he's found a gas mask. And I'm talking one of those old-time gas masks they used to wear back in the day. Um, kind of, the, they kind of... The, you know the ones with the long snout nose and you know they're black and they're I, they got the little you know those type of gas masks and then they had um a sign you could clearly tell that they was at you know a part of the nuclear testing at the government sites in the desert but you know if he had walked into a but see as soon as he discovers that it's like you know something crazy happens and he's jumped to another location and then it's like okay what does this all mean? You know, what is this all leading to? And is this uh, a lab experiment, experience, excuse me, a lab experiment that has gotten loose and they're trying to get their hands on it? Um, like, you know, the government's trying to track it back down. How did, is this a, uh, a play on time and space or space and time? Or is this like something else going on here? Um, like there was instances where his mom, you could hear his mom calling their phones saying like, you guys, I've heard from you guys for days. Please call back. And him ending up in his mom's house while she's looking at him. And, you know, she's saying something that she had a nightmare about something terrible happening to them. And it just it was a lot of chaotic energy going on and in any other setting it's probably been great but the fact that we're going through a, already we know that Robbie was um knocked on the, on the head by his assailant which ended up being his doppelganger but we don't know if well here's the thing you tend to forget that this is recovered footage from the Saratoga Police Department in that area because you're thinking like this footage caught all of this because it's, it's, it's odd. I'm just gonna leave it. At, it's very odd and it's a little nerve wracking, but eh, not in a good way in some aspects of it. Um, now for some of the pros of the movie, like I said, I really dug Michelle and Angela and Robbie's interaction with each other at the beginning of the movie. It just went on a little bit too long. And, I wish I'd have got more interaction with those characters later on in the movie instead of it being just like, okay, we're at hour, we're at like minute 45 or minute, um, well, probably not minute 45, but at the hour mark. And it might have been that's where um, the hour at 20, no, it probably was the hour mark. All I know is it was a certain level of where that character interaction ended and then we just get nothing but Robbie and we don't know what the hell is going on what he's seeing and it's just kind of you know it'd have been great to have somebody else there to carry um the narrative in a way where they could sit there and discuss what they're seeing and maybe you could have pieced together by their dialogue what was going on and like if robbie disappeared and he came back and there's one person still standing there like where'd you go you've been gone for x amount of minutes you've been gone for x amount of time you know, and this, this, and that, and, you know, I haven't, you know, this, this type of thing, but it was just like, you were just at the behest of Robbie's, um, camera and his disoriented state. Um, but yeah, the, but the pro of all of that was the characters that surrounded him. And when we lost them, that became a con. Um, um, and so I'm going to go to the other pros. The other pros of the film is that uh, of the movie are actually the two short story, uh, short stories, but you can call them short stories, but the two shorts that bookmark the film as a whole, you have card zero, which is the prequel. And then you have file VL dash six, two, four, which is the epilogue. Um, I personally saw the epilogue first and then went back to the prequel but looking at the director's preferred watching of the three, you watch the Outwaters first, of course. Then you watch 
card zero, then you watch file LV or VL dash six two four. Um, so, but I'm just gonna go by it the way I viewed it. Um, it felt like card. I mean, um, file VL six two four was more along like it was. It, it felt like deleted scenes from the movie deleted experiences or whatnot however we discover that these are not images from if i'm not mistaken i feel like they're images from card they're Im- i think because i could have they were like cards four through seven because in the film if you remember um the film was cards one two and three but if i'm not mistaken i feel like cards four through seven were also present in and file VL dash six two four. I should have went back and watched it again, but I just completely forgot. However, um yeah, so I can't think of any of the images that popped out because again I'm thinking like how if these are cards four through seven, then how did this information get on these cards and not they went on cards three on one through three? This is all probably bad to bad planning, but still, I know that the scenes featured in seem to merge in between stuff that happened prior to Robbie recording everything that happened in the desert. So in these scenes, there's two things that stuck out to me. One, because I kind of sussed it out while I was watching the movie and seeing like Angela hold the camera for one time while Robbie was, you know, drinking and in the kitchen. I'm like, first of all, I don't know um, unless they had a relationship of some sort. But then I found out that Angela was um, married and not to Robbie. So I'm like, he's walking around in his underwear and he's just getting completely he's completely wasted and i don't know me personally i don't know any male friends that have female or females that have male friends who are let me say this i don't know any cisgendered females that are comfortable with their male friends like probably cisgender male friends walking around with us but their underwear on or just a t-shirt and it's an underwear and not boxer, not even like boxers. I'm talking like boxer briefs where, you know, stuff is showing and stuff. But bottom line, I kind of sus that Robbie was gay uh, right then. Um, but in the file VL624, we get the confirmation because we see Robbie making out with this guy. But that was one scene that stuck out to me. And, and there was other scenes that kind of added to the chaos that was happening in the main film. But the one thing that stuck out to me was the very last scene where we see Robbie standing in front of the mirror of his apartment. His nose is bloodied, but his um, trucker cap is very dirtied. And if this is supposed to be a later card, that means that Robbie must have gotten out of the um, desert or this is just some type of you know creepy, you know, it just felt like it was um, trying to tell us something. And then I was like, so did he get out of the desert? If so, did, is he some, did some type of creature infiltrate his body? And it's like using his body as like this conduit to get to the, you know, the whatever, you know, to get, get out and just spread whatever, which brings me back to the, <laughs> excuse me, to the actual film, the earthquakes. Um, I feel like the shit that was going on in the desert, because I feel like there's a reason why they kept having the earthquakes in the movie. Um, I feel like they had something to correlate with what was going on in the desert. And it might have been why, you know, um, you know, shit was just off, you know, and the earthquakes might have been like uh, it, it probably gives way to an alien invasion of some sort that we don't know nothing about or that was beginning to happen and they just end up being at the going to the um dead center of it but then i went back and watched card zero 
And Car Zero is actually my favorite out of this whole experience because I felt like that is what should have been the first 15 to 30 minutes of the actual film because car zero is about pretty much Robbie and this guy that he's dating. Um, I think his name was Julius or Julie um, Jay or something like that, but he was dating this guy and it was like, they were just starting out dating and he was introducing him to Michelle and you know, they decided to go scout out where they were going to go shoot the music video. So we get this entire sequence of Michelle, Jay or Julian and Robbie in the areas where they were going to be at when the actual film, um, the, the filming of the music video. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Robbie or maybe it was Jay. I can't recall, but I know that they, the three of them were walking and whoever was holding the camera walked off and heard something in a cut in the in the desert mountain or something like that they went in there looked around and when they came back julian had a bloody nose and it just came all of a sudden so they decided to try to clean the nose up and they go back and then there's an argument with um it seems like there's a lot of tension between robbie and no julian like in the same day it's like they went lovey-dovey that morning and everything and then they're back home later that night and then it's like this tension it seems like julian didn't want robbie to touch him well part of that came because robbie decided to give julian a gift after he um, cleaned up his nose because his nose started bleeding again while they was at, at the house and whatnot and they came back from an argument and some anyway they went back and to the house there was an argument or not even an argument just you could just sense the tension between julian and robbie that or, or as you were being a viewer like robbie where is all this animosity coming from all of a sudden so um julian or i forgot the guy's name goes and um wipes his nose like his nose bleeding again and he's asking to be left alone he can take care of it so Robbie goes back and then as Julian is still sitting there reading a book later in the evening, Robbie gives him a ring to solidify them going steady. And then it seemed like automatically, immediately, it was a mistake that Robbie was like, okay, I made a mistake. This is I probably kind of like pushed this too far. And Julian was like, no, 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 it's not a mistake, but you can clearly tell he's bothered. And then so it kept going back and forth to the point where Robbie ends up leaving and then you find out later on that Robbie and Julian break up and he talks to Michelle about it and Michelle's very comforting and whatnot to the, the situation then Robbie also talks later to Scott who tells him that he kind of is like you know he jumps head first into stuff without just you know letting stuff just you know take his route and then um a lot of extra scenes and then there's like this split cut scene between Robbie standing in the mirror with this trucker hat it's nice and clean and then all of a sudden it's flash cuts to it being dirty and his face being bloody and the movie ends the, 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 um, the short ends so again it's like I can see why director Robbie Fanfitch wanted us to watch those movies and that's the sequential in the sequential order the Outwaters um, Card Zero then uh, file VAL-624. Um, all three all three are exclusively on Screenbox. I think they're worth the watch. I think that overall, the movie and the Outwaters experience should be experienced. I really do. Um, because this is something where you get together with other people who might not have liked the movie or might have like the might have loved the movie or just might be like i'm still puzzled and you can get together and theorize because that's actually something that happened after i told um ali and another person on my um instagram page that i watched the film and so we started passing around theories i don't think ali cared too much for it or rather it mostly in um infuriated her but not infuriated her. it was just kind of like she was frustrated with what 
the movie left, the questions that the movie left us with. And so we started to theorize what was going on. Um, one person said that it was, it could have been some type of HP Lovecraft type um, cosmic experience. And that's plausible because again, HP Lovecraft is all about chaos. And I, you know, that his whole racial, the whole racial aspect of HP Lovecraft is a whole nother sto- um, episode in itself. Um, but if you know, if you read some of his stuff and you've seen adaptations of his stuff, it's mostly just chaotic bullshit. And I'm not saying bullshit like in a negative manner, but just chaotic bullshit, you know, and it can, it can go one way or the other. Um, but the thing about HP Lovecraft stuff, even though I think he, even though I don't really care for his shit, it's coherent. It is, it's like an oxymoron. It's like coherent chaos. You can tell what's going on by a character's dialogue or something like that. And you can be like, okay, you know what world you're in, you're in right now. And you sort of know the rules and you just go with the flow. Um, another person thought that it was probably like time travel or like, you know, Robbie was going through loops in the desert and that it might be some type of, you know, because the whole thing with him recording the noise up under the in, the, in the hole, and it seemed like it was giving off like some type of energy, like there might have been something up under the desert that was throwing everything off, and mixed with deorientation, and um, I don't know, everything else, it just, I don't know. So you can watch the movie and come back, and because to uh, be honest with you, I still don't understand what I saw. Um, this is probably why this review is all over the place. Um, all I can tell you is how I felt. Now, if I was in a theater with the Dolby at the most high, I probably would have had a different, um, take on it. But as far as you trying to like, tell me, as far as me trying to tell you narratively what was going on, it kind of goes off the rims once you get to the chaos. And it's just like, I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't know what's going on. Yes, there's a couple of creatures running around and stuff like that, but they're not attacking anyone. They're either running past Robbie or they're running under Robbie um, or they're coming towards him, but you don't see any him getting attacked. Um, this is why I feel like Scott, Angela, and Michelle should have like lasted longer than they did. Um, because you could see what they were up against and then would have Robbie be the sole person and you no, know, whatever. But I feel like getting rid of the supporting characters was a, um, early was, was a kind of a mistake. Um, but that is my take on the Outwaters experience. Again, it might've been all over the place, this review probably was all over the place, but I, again, I say this because I feel like the movie was once it got to the chaotic area, but I personally am a fan of card zero. I really love the dynamic between Robbie and I hope his name was Julian or Julius, whatever his name. I hope that's his name because I can't find it. Let me take that back. But yeah, so I really, really, um, loved that part of the experience was car zero and i like i said again i felt that uh the uh excuse me the file vl 6-24 was you know like uh um like a, a reel of you know what you call it um deleted footage um extended scenes or whatnot um and it seems like the it's here's another explanation that probably was happening why we caught a lot of stuff because it just popped in my head maybe the reason why all we caught all the stuff on the video is because um like again if the vibrations and the sound waves and all of the weird stuff had the had the power to completely keep Robbie's camera fully charged all the time. Who's to sit there and say that it didn't mess with the footage that was um, recovered by the police department, you know? And that's probably why certain things was warped into other cards and whatnot. Um, that's just an um, explanation. Um, but 
yeah so let me see card zero i'm looking at yeah julian thank god i know I, I knew the name was julian okay so i went and did a quick imdb right quick but um i would have loved to have had julian come on a trip too you know even though they kind of broke up in card zero it still have been like you know it would have been a, a a great core five you know um and then just see each one of them get picked off by what's going on around them so we can see exactly what is what is what's attacking them maybe have multiple cameras kind of like the bird wish project you know have multiple cameras and that way we can catch like one person getting attacked and then somebody picking up the camera or the camera gets dropped and we can see a full sequence of somebody getting like attacked by some creature but again you wind it back Mr. Banfish didn't have probably didn't have that budget to do all of that. Um, so but it was still effective in some areas. Like I remember the scene with the the big creature, because I was like, what is it? Like I kept saying to the screen and myself, what is it? Like I see teeth and I see flesh, but what is it? Like how big is this damn thing? And it just it, we just never saw the full thing. So your imagination set creeps in. And you're thinking like, oh, it's this big, long, big creature. But, you know, it probably was just like this little floating thing that was just, you know, um, I don't know. It probably wasn't as big. But the fact that you saw glimpses of it and didn't see the whole thing was somewhat frustrating. Uh, so, yeah. But I do say um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you don't go watch this film or go watch these this film and its um, auxiliary um, chapters. I say do. If you got screen box, that's a great start to go and use your screen box um, experience. Watch again in order the Outwaters, then Card Zero, then File VL-624. Tell me what you think um, about the films and which one stuck out to you. I mean, they're all the same thing. They're all one big narrative. So that's why I call this episode The Outwaters Experience. Just tell me what you think. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Anti-Critic. You can find me on Instagram, which is really my base of operations because Mother Sarah Michelle Geller has left Twitter and I might be right behind her. Um, I'm on Instagram at Marco Estes, all one word. And and I'm also on the public side of things on Instagram, Midnight Social Distortion, all one word. And I don't know if there's anybody out there who tried to follow me on Instagram on my private account, which is the Marco Estes account. If you have, I'm not telling you to just do it just for me, but send a message saying that you're trying to add me because I've been having a lot of people add me as of late and they have nothing in their profile and their profile is private. And I'm like, I'm not adding that. At least when you come to my private profile, you know what I'm about. You know, I'm a horror fan. You know that I'm gay. You know that, a much um, the stuff that I talk about on here, you know, I'm a Buffy fan, I'm a Fred head, I'm the Doctor Who, American Horror Story, so you know I'm all about the horror shit. But if you just sit there and just tell me your name is Tommy, and I'm like, I don't know who that is, I don't know what you are about, I don't see a picture of you, I see feet, and I'm like, I don't, that's all I see, and I don't want to engage because I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Uh, I probably should do a whole entire episode on why. I'm, um, social media is getting to the point where people are finding new ways to scam you and you have to be careful um, but anyway those are the places you can find me you can email me at midnightsocialdistortion at gmail.com um, and that's it uh, until next time peace peace <laughs>